Good morning again. You guys doing well today? Great to have you here. So excited to be talking about a, a wonderful passage of Scripture, one of my favorites. We kind of have a little standalone teaching here today before we start our next series next Sunday uh, about these encounters with Jesus that we're going to be calling Collide. So I got to pick my own topic today. That's dangerous, right? But I got to pick one of my favorite passages, Luke 15. We're going to be talking about lost things and how Jesus values lost things. And the really great part of this story is this celebratory nature that this father has in this story, which reflects the celebratory nature of God over us. You love to celebrate. I love to celebrate. You know, when I was a kid, we kind of were just so-so on our birthdays, but now that my wife and I have three kids, we've kind of wanted to like ramp it up a little bit with birthdays and just really celebrate our kids. So we kind of almost have in our family like a birthday week because we have multiple activities and multiple parties. And Friday night, we were here in this church for my youngest son, Max's 12th birthday party. Okay, so he invites all his little friends over, all these little 12-year-olds are running around the church destroying things. Um, sorry, band, if they uh, did anything to the sound equipment up here. Um, but it was just really fun. Pizza and just a lot of great time and, and some video games and some movies. And they were actually playing Capture the Flag here in the sanctuary. And it was really cute at one point. There was eight of them and they said, you know what, we got to go skins and shirts so half of them take their shirts off and they're running around in here. And uh, it was just really fun and celebratory. Now, you know, back in the day when I thought, you know, we never had church buildings back in the day. And I always thought like, man, people can be kind of stuffy about their church buildings. Well, I got it after Friday night when the kids were just pepperonis flying everywhere. Kids running around, opening stuff, getting into things. They got into McClure's desk, stole some stuff. Um, <laughs> Anyway, when they were done, it just smelled like little kids in here. But we got it all restored for today. And uh, it was fun to celebrate. Hopefully you love to celebrate. And this message today is about how much God loves to celebrate lost people coming to Jesus. And so that's the big idea for today. Remembering the mission. Today is about us remembering the mission of what H2O is all about, what we think we're supposed to be doing here on this earth, is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And he values that, and we want to value that too. So in Luke 15, we're going to turn there. If you want to open in your Bible, the passages will also come up here, or you can look at it on your phone. We're going to spend the whole time in Luke 15. Now, to set up this chapter of Luke 15, let me just tell you the context, because understanding the Scripture is always important to know what the context of that Scripture is. Now, Matthew's written to the Jewish people and Mark to the Romans and John to believers and a multitude in the audience. But the book of Luke is mostly directed toward the Gentiles Gentile people, what the Jewish people thought were the really lost people. So most of Luke is focused on these people that were feeling like outcasts. They felt like they were on the outside looking in, and Jesus is reaching out to these people, and Luke highlights that in the life of Jesus, that Jesus loves all of the world. And regardless of what you've been through or what your background is, Jesus wants you to be in a relationship with him. And in this chapter of 15, which is really the hub of the whole book of Luke, Jesus tells these three stories about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. 
And he's telling these people that are sitting around how God values these things. So we might ask, who's the audience that's hearing this parable? Okay, And the Bible tells us very clearly in verse 1 and 2 who this audience is. Jesus is telling a, a, a parable. That just means he's telling this illustration, this story, which he often did. You know how much we love hearing stories? The people of that time did too. And Jesus taught the people theological truths often through stories. And that's what's happening here. He tells these three stories. And 1 and 2 tells us, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, so what's going on right here is there's two groups in this little audience that Jesus is talking to. The tax collectors and the sinners. Those were the partiers, the prostitutes, those that didn't follow the ways of God. They just loved to have a good time and rebel and just do whatever they wanted to do. This term tax collectors that's often used in the, in the New Testament is referring to the people that they really couldn't stand. Matthew was one of these tax collectors that became a disciple because the tax collectors worked for the Romans who were very oppressive over the Jewish people, the Roman Empire, and they would send their own people, these Jewish people, into the Jewish communities to gather the tax. So they were really traitors to the Jewish people. They thought, how could you as a Jew go and work for those Romans, and then when they'd come, they'd collect a little extra tax to just line their own pockets. So they were kind of cheats. They were the bottom rung. If you got called a tax collector, you were a traitor and a robber, and the people despised them. So here's these tax collectors and sinners hanging out with Jesus, and the really religious, holy people, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the really good people, are judging him. And they're there sitting in judgment, in their pride, wondering why Jesus is hanging out with these people. So he tells them this story. And here it is. I'm going to read it to you. It's 11 through 32. He tells them about the coin and the sheep, and then he comes to the lost son. And Jesus continues this story and says this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Pretty much, give me my inheritance right now. So he divided his property between his, them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he sent out for a distant country, and there he squandered all his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. Okay, so I'll just pause right there. Jesus is telling this story. This younger son says this very insulting thing to his father. Give me my inheritance now. I kind of wish you were dead. Just give me my money. And he goes off and he's partying. He wastes it all. It's all gone. The famine comes in. He's starving. He goes to work for a farmer, and while he's feeding the pigs, he's thinking, man, I wish I could eat this food. I wish I could eat the pig food. So he is at rock bottom, okay? We're going to continue on in verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, 
How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Let's pause there. I love that phrase that he came to his senses. He realized, what am I doing? I thought this was going to be the great life. And now here I am starving. And maybe if I go back to my dad, I know I can't be his son again because I've done something so shameful. But maybe in his mercy, he'll hire me as one of his hired people. And I could just work for him. So he gets up and goes back to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The son gets this surprising welcome from the father. Not condemnation, not shame, not even a stiff arm. He says, let's celebrate. I thought you were dead and you're alive and I'm so excited. And they have this amazing celebration. We're going to pick up the story now with the older son the older son that was still there with the father this whole, whole time. Starting in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has had him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. And refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, You're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's now found. We're going to explain this story in a couple points. But the first thing that I want to point out, probably the heart of the story, is us realizing what it means to be lost. What does this word mean to be really lost? And this realization of what it means to be apart from the Father, to leave the Father, to leave our Heavenly Father. And what this story kind of illustrates, what Jesus is highlighting here, is this hunger in Him. This physical hunger. This regret that He has of what it meant to go away and experience those, those consequences. If you've ever been in a spot where you've disobeyed God, I want you to kind of Put yourself in this story. 
If you've ever felt distant from God, maybe you've made some choices in life, maybe you made some mistake, and you're thinking, man, I feel far away from God. I feel lost right now. And we could kind of feel like, man, is he even there? Is his existence really real? And we could feel like we don't have a purpose or we don't have some kind of identity or belonging. It can be a really horrible feeling. And when we experience like something like that, we need something to kind of bring us back to our senses. To say, man, this way that I'm living, this, these choices that I'm making, they're not leading to the fun and the satisfaction that I thought and I need to come to my senses and come back to what I was made for, what I was made to do, and that's to be in relationship with God. And it says this in 17 and 19. When he came to his senses, he says, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You know, I've noticed in the church over the years, people can be spiritually starving to death all around us. And we don't necessarily notice it on the outside. I know times where I've really been starving to death spiritually, and I could kind of try to fake it on the outside. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you're experiencing that today, where you're feeling that emptiness and that starvation. And again, maybe you've made some mistake in life where you can identify with this, where you think, God, I'm not even worthy to be in this relationship. I shouldn't even be at church. I shouldn't even tell people I'm a Christian because I am surely not worthy to be a child of God. And if you've ever experienced that before, you know that can be a really empty, low feeling. And many of us here, probably all of us here, have experienced that. You know, I've shared my story about my own lostness many times, and I just want to bring up some points about that again because it was such an important part of my testimony and how I relate to this prodigal son. And you know, at H2O, we're always just trying to be really honest and vulnerable and transparent with you so that when you come to church, you know, wow, I don't have to be this perfect, holy person. I've got these things in my past that I'm not proud of, but God still loves me and I want to be a part of a community and we want you to feel at home here, regardless of where you've come from. And I've shared this story how after college, I was running for Jesus. And I love Jesus. And I led Bible study. And I was excited to be in the leadership of this church. And I got this teaching job. And I moved far away from all the Christians that I knew intentionally because I was starting to have this bitterness and this lust in my heart and this desire to just flee the Christian life. And I went downhill very quickly, and I got into this relationship that I knew God did not want me to be in. And for that nine-month period that I moved away, it was this feeling of this emptiness, this starving to death, because I wasn't in fellowship, and I wasn't reading my Bible, and I was making these choices that I knew God didn't want me to make. And when you're in that space, if you've ever been there, God can really feel a million miles away because you're not enjoying the intimacy of a relationship with God. 
And when I reached the bottom of that and just felt this incredible loneliness, even though there were people all around me, and I just felt that God kept whispering something to me almost daily, which was a real evidence to me that the Spirit was dwelling inside of me, but I could hear him say, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? It was not an audible voice, but I heard that so frequently during those nine months that no one could talk me out of it, that it was the holy God of the universe talking to me through his spirit saying, when are you coming back? And it was the craziest thing. You know, when we have these stories and these experiences, when they're yours, sometimes they can feel really weird. They can feel like, wow, is this really happening? But what happened and what God used in my life, because I know God can use all kinds of things to bring us back to him. But what he used in my life was a movie named Rudy, okay? This, this Rudy movie is about this Notre Dame kid that wanted to play football, and it's a really great movie. And I just went one day, you know, out of nowhere, not really looking for anything spiritual to happen. And that's often how God can work. And I went to see this movie, and it just rocked me to the core. And one scene in particular that really affected me was there's a picture of this, uh, just from this segment of the movie. And this short little guy, Rudy, is trying to make the Notre Dame football team. And he gets to know this older man that's almost like a father figure to him. He's the groundskeeper that he works for. And at the end of the movie, I don't want to be a spoiler, but it's like decades old, so I think I can spoil it. Okay? But, but rent this movie. It's a great movie. <clears throat> he wants to quit. He wants to give up. He wants to just go back to a mediocre life. And he's sitting there feeling sorry for himself. And the groundskeeper comes up and says, what are you doing here? Don't you have practice? Because he's on the practice team. He's not on the real team. And he says, I quit. It's too hard. I wanted to be somebody, but it's not working out. And this groundskeeper says to him, you go back. You're not the quitting type. You've made it this far. You're five foot nothing. You're a hundred nothing. You've got not, neither even a speck of athletic ability and you've been hanging with them. You go back and you jump back into what you were trying to accomplish. And that moved me so much, okay? I literally left the theater and went home and wept and just weeping and weeping because I felt God was saying, that's you. Settling, quitting on this great purpose that I had for you. Now you go back. It was like the God of the heavens just speaking to me in that movie theater. And I made the decision that day. I said, I'm going back. And I, I, I broke everything off. I moved back. I made phone calls to all my old friends and my pastors. And I came back and found this compassion. And I found the presence of God again. And that hole that I had in me that I missed God so much, it just rushed back in. And that intimacy was so sweet. I pray that if you are in a lost place right now, in a place of emptiness, maybe you're starving, that something would happen to spur you back. 
And maybe it's the response of a holy God that you need. Maybe it's the thought of that response to bring you back. Because here's what the God says. Here's what the Father figure says. The God of the universe is his heart in this story. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost and he's found, and they began to celebrate. This fattened calf represents the best meat they had, the best animal that they had. Pull out the best thing that we have. Bring those rings, bring the sandals, bring the robes. I want to celebrate my son that's home. And when you and I come back into a relationship with God, when someone that doesn't know God decides they're going to give their life to Jesus, there's a celebration. And that's what Jesus is conveying to this audience at this time. This word prodigal that we use a lot in this, this uh, passage where we talk about the prodigal son, it really just means um, this freely giving God, this this almost wasteful giving God. The word that it's used with the son as prodigal usually is translated into what we say like a wasteful way. That he's taken all his money and he just spent it all. Overly freely. You know, just, just almost recklessly gave all his money to partying. And in the same way, his father does the same thing. Timothy Keller wrote a book called The Prodigal God talking about this generosity, this extravagant love that he pours on us. And he says this in his book, Mercy and forgiveness must be free and unmerited to the wrongdoer. If the wrongdoer has to do something to merit it, then it isn't mercy. But forgiveness always comes at a cost to the one granting the forgiveness. Really the essence of the gospel is that this son coming back in his brokenness represents us. And we have nothing to give the father. We have nothing to bring him to earn our way back. It's simply just receiving the forgiveness. It's receiving the extravagant love and mercy of God. And it's a really beautiful thing. Now the older son, he didn't recognize that. He didn't understand why they were celebrating. And I want to be honest with you. You know, early in my life, the first couple decades, I really identified with that lost son. And that was kind of my story. And I've always had this heart of gratitude. Like, man, I'm just happy to be in the family of God. I'm happy to be in ministry. But as I've now gotten older in the later decades of my life, I feel my heart creeping toward the older son that could feel entitled. And this son was really struggling with this. So he says to his dad, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. That's very questionable right there. Yet you've never given me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Wow, that sounds pretty ungrateful, doesn't it? Sounds pretty entitled. But when this son of yours, oh, this despicable son of yours, who squandered all your property on prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? Are you serious, Dad? Why are you showing him love? 
I'm the one that deserves all this. I'm the one that's entitled to the party. I'm the one here working in the field day after day, slaving away for you, and this is the kind of gratitude you show me. He's got a real attitude. He's got a real animosity toward his father and toward his younger brother. And I have found that a lot of us, a lot of Christians even, can be in these states, these three responses. As you look at this list of these three responses in Luke 15, we see the ungrateful, rebellious child. He's in this relationship with his dad. It's a beautiful place. But he's like, you know what? The grass is greener on the other side. I don't like this life we have. I want to go party. I want to go do it on my own. That's the ungrateful, rebellious child. The older son that stayed... He was ungrateful too. He's the ungrateful, self-reliant, bitter child. Filled with pride. Filled with self-reliance. Look at how much I deserve because I've been working for you. It's not about the God, it's not about the father figure's love. It's about his work. Or hopefully we find ourselves living as the grateful, celebratory people. That's what we long for here in this church that we would be grateful, celebratory people in this mission with God. But you know, as you get older, it becomes more and more tempting to be legalistic and judgmental. Back to the Prodigal God by Timothy Keller. When you talk about this legalism, it's like a self-reliance that you don't really need God. You're just so good. You're such a great Christian that you really don't need a dependence on God anymore, and it's not any better than the younger son. And here's what he says. Neither son loved the father for himself. They both were using the father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. This means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking his rules or by keeping all of them diligently, trying to earn your way to heaven. It's a shocking message. Careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy for rebelling against God. Wow, that's a really convicting last sentence. You and I can rely on our obedience so much in a legalistic way that we forget the cross we forget our own lostness. And in a way, it's rebelling against God because we say we don't really need your forgiveness that much. Not as much as this other person. And so, we're going to close this by just challenging you and encouraging you to be those celebratory people. We're at an amazing season here in this church and an amazing time of the year where we're going to be inviting all these people. I encourage you to participate and in bringing in all these people that need God, that need Jesus in our city and on our campus and loving them. And when we see people that aren't living in that way, that we don't look at them judgmentally, but we pray for them and we hope that they come. And if they give their lives to Christ, we celebrate that. I'm going to pray at the end of this video clip. I have a, a video clip that I want to show you right now. It's a classic. 
It's from a long time ago. But I watch this movie almost every year with my family when I was a little boy. It's called Jesus of Nazareth. Okay? And I think you're going to really love this clip. I love it so much that I wanted to show it to you. And I need to set it up a little bit so you understand. It's a longer clip. Okay? And you're going to have to get past the white Jesus with the British accent. Okay? <laughs> Just forget I even said that. Okay? He wasn't white. He didn't have a, a British accent. But the actor is incredible. Plays Jesus in a great way. And he's telling the prodigal son's story to these people. Now, this movie rendition is different than the scriptures because it talks about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But in this movie, this clip, right before this, Jesus is walking with his disciples and Peter is the judgmental one. Peter is the great Jewish person. And he doesn't want to enter this house with Jesus. And Jesus is telling him, you know I need to go into this house, right? To love these people. And Peter, you're going to see him, his profile, on the outside of the door with the other disciples. But Jesus goes in and he's with Matthew, the tax collector that I mentioned to you before. And he's there with the prostitutes and the party partiers in this house and we'll see what happens. And as soon as it's over, I'll, I'll close us in prayer. So here it is. I'd like to tell you a story. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Sit down, sit down. Shh, shh, shh. Sit down, sit down. <laughs> a certain man had two sons. And one day the younger of these sons said to his father, Give me my share of your estate now. So his father divided his wealth between his two sons. And a few days later, this younger son set off for a distant land. And there he squandered all the money he had on riotous living. Now, not long after this, a great famine swept over the land. And the boy began to starve. He persuaded a farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. But he was so hungry that even the husks he was feeding the swine began to look good to him. And still, nobody gave him anything. Finally, the boy came to his senses. At home, Even my father's servants have enough food and to spare. And here I am starving to death. I will go home and ask my father to hire me as one of his servants. And so he set off. Now he was still some distance from his home when his father saw him coming. And he was so filled with compassion that he ran towards his son and embraced him and kissed him. The boy said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am not worthy to be called your son. But his father called for the servants 
and said, Bring me the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Put rings on his hands and shoes on his feet. Kill the fatted calf, we must celebrate with a feast. My son was dead. And is alive again. Now, the older brother, at this time, was working in the fields. And as he came back to the house, he heard the noise of music and dancing. He called for one of the servants and asked what was happening. And he was told. At this, the older brother became very angry and he refused to go into the house. The father came out, tried to plead with him, but he wouldn't listen. I have worked for you all this time, all these years, and never once have I disobeyed you. And in all that time, you've never even given me so much as a goat so that I could have a feast with my friends. My younger brother comes back, having spent all your money on harlots, and for him, you kill the fatted calf. Please, said the father. Please, try to understand. You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But it is right to celebrate. Your brother was dead. and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Forgive me, Master. I'm... I'm just a stupid man. <laughs> 